you will take your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. I will tell you that I have preached through the book of the Revelation at least three times. I think it's four over the past 30 years. And we may take some Bibles and turns and what have you, but we'll just kind of work our way through it. And I'm going to tell you that every other time that I have preached through the book of the Revelation, I have taken almost the entire fourth chapter in one message. This week, as I was praying, in fact, about 10 days ago, as I was praying and working on the message for this morning, it became very apparent to me that verse four, chapter 4, verse 1, is a transition. And our lives are full of transitions. In fact, you see transitions on the screen many times. And I'm just going to ask Jacob to hit the space bar one time and let you see kind of a transition. There you go. And see, it takes what it used to be and make it into something different. Now, we're not unfamiliar with transitions. Transitions are not new for us. This weekend, some 14 of us, 14 of us men, went to First Baptist Church, Summerall, for a men's conference. My friend of almost 30 years, Dr. Fred Luter, preached and just did a wonderful job. And I want to tell you, you talk to the men, they're going to remember things they're not supposed to remember and not remember things they should remember, okay? But we had a great time. He brought the word. Friday night, one of his main points was this. I want everybody to have a personal encounter with Jesus. Everybody needs a personal encounter with Jesus. And he preached on, in one of his summary statements that is startling, he said, do you know why some people, listen, New Hope, do you know why some people do not desire a personal encounter with Jesus? And the answer was, Because there are many people who have made the decision that they don't need to change. They simply don't want to change. They don't want to have that transition in their life. Transitions in life are a part of life. May I say this to everybody here? Is that we have been transitioning or changing all of our lives. When we were a baby in a womb... We transitioned to become a baby in the world. Then we got to be a baby and we started in a baby bed. And if we're honest, people don't like you to say this. We transferred from the baby bed to mom and dad's bed. And then from mom and dad's bed, finally we got to the big bed. Then we transitioned from being a A toddler to a preschooler, a preschooler to an elementary schooler, elementary to middle school, middle school to high school, high school to college. And then you transferred from being single to married. And when you think you got it all figured out, from married to being a parent. And then your kids get grown and you transition from being a parent to a grandparent and everything starts all over again. Transitions mean life. If there's going if there's going to be anything happening that indicates life, transitions are going to be a part of it. And yet some people really like to fight transitions. I just want things to stay like they are. Well let me just tell you, to my crowd, that's the crowd my age and older, get over it. 
It's not going to stay the same. It's either going to go forward or it's going to go backwards and there's going to be little or no middle ground. That reminds me that, you know, there's three types of people in the world. Those people who make things happen. Those people who watch things happen. And then there are those people that wonder what happened. The only place that I know that no transition is really happening is the funeral home. Wherever there's life, there are there is transitions. And 21st century is getting worse. Let's say not worse. It's getting more and more and quicker and quicker. But I want to say this to you this morning. Jesus came to transition us. That's the very reason he came. He came to transition us from how we were to how he wants us to be, how God designed us to be. He came to to transition us out of the sin, out of the ugliness, out of the hopelessness, out of the helplessness, out of the ungodliness, into someone who pleases God, someone who walks with God. I mean, think about the Bible, brothers and sisters, friends. Saul of Tarsus met Jesus, had a personal encounter with Jesus, and he was transitioned from being Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle. He was transitioned from being a persecutor to a preacher. (coughs) Excuse me. Think of Acts chapter 2, earlier than that. Those 12 disciples and those 120 who left the Mount of Ascension and came back to Jerusalem, they were scared of their own shadows. They just stayed locked away, and they prayed so they did something good. But when they had a personal encounter with the Holy Spirit, it turned them into a mighty army. It turned them into people who would speak and talk and share about Jesus. And they became the very people who started this movement that we know as the church. The Bible was written by men who had literally touched the heart of God. And when they touched his heart, he gave them the words and they wrote the words <clears throat> to help mankind transfer into the likeness of a loving and a gracious God. You think about the coming of Jesus. It was simply a transition from the old covenant to the new covenant of sacrificing animals to the supreme sacrifice of God's Son, of transitioning from the law and being legalist to grace. Now we get to the Bible. Now we get to the Bible through our one verse of Scripture. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. If you found it, And can, would you stand to honor the reading of God's word? (coughs) Sorry. Chapter 4, verse 1 says this. I'm reading the Christian Standard Version. After this, hang on to those words. After this, I looked. And there in heaven was an open door. The first voice 
that I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place. There's those two words again. After this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask that today that you take your word and you impose it on our hearts. And that you surround our heart with your Holy Spirit so that we can hear no one but you. I pray that you would remove me from the equation and speak the words that you have spoken into me so that we can hear them, so we can respond to them, so that we can be a part of the transition that you're wanting in each of us and in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Verse 4 begins with after this, and it ends with after this. It's kind of like a bracket around that one verse. It's a turning point. It's a transition. It's simple, yet it's profound. I just want to pause a second to say, some of you have because we spoke of this on Wednesday night. But I would encourage you to to discover some spiritual things that are going on in this nation been a revival for two, three months going on. I mean a spiritual revival, not just a meeting going on in Hammond, Louisiana. February the 3rd, I think, might have been the 8th, 3rd of the 8th, right in that first week, a spiritual revival, a move of God came to Asbury College in Kentucky. It's a Methodist college. God loves Methodists too. The only thing I tell all my Methodist friends, there's nothing wrong with you. A little water won't fix. So, Did you realize that just in the last week or so, that at Sanford University in Birmingham, Alabama, that the beginning of the revival is taking place? I'm telling you that God wants to transition us. He wants to do something if we will let him. And the words of Fred Luter ring in my mind this morning. One of the reasons that God is not having the freedom to move all over, gosh, I hope it's not here, is because we really don't want what he offers. When I look at this scripture, this is very simple to me. Now, we're going to do this, and you'll see the transition again, because I want to keep that scripture in front of you, right over there in the corner. But I want to offer you three simple thoughts. The first one you already see on the screen. Let's look at it through the eyes of John and how it appeals to us. First of all, what he saw. What did he see? After this, I looked. After this, and what you, some of you want to know, he's talking about after the church age. He's talking about after he's just given that message to the seven churches. We realize that those seven churches represent every church that's alive today. And he goes, after this, after we've heard him, Jesus knock on the door and say, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I really want to get in. Would you let me in? After this, John says, I saw an open door. An open door. Not a shut door. Not a bolted door. Not a swinging door. Not a sliding door. 
It is an open door. An open door. I want you to think about all the things, and I, these are not going to be on the screen. If you're going to catch them, you're going to have to write them down. I want you to think about all the things that an open door in your life and my life mean. Four words. First one is freedom. An open door means freedom. There are people in jail today that would like to see an open door. There are people in prison today that would like to see an open door. There are people in the hospital today that would like to see an open door. Meets freedom. Did you know that's exactly what Jesus offers you and me today? An open door to freedom. John 8 says it two times. says, you shall know the truth. That's Jesus. And the truth, Jesus, shall set you free. A couple of verses down it says, And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter what's got you bondage today. It can be your pride. It can be your habits. It can be your sin. It can be your inability to, to accept change. But whatever it is, Jesus is offering you an open door today and it's and it'll free you. If you'll accept it, you see, this world's going to try to keep the door closed to heaven. And Jesus offers the open door. It's freedom. You know what, it, you know what next? An open door not only talks about freedom, but talks about clarity. C-L-A-R-I-T-Y. Clarity. You see, the, the truth is, is that when Jesus in the Bible, he did this many times. He, he gave sight to the blind, and he gave sound to the deaf. And every time, almost every time that he did that, the biblical writers convey it this way. He opened their ears. He opened their eyes. That's why we sing things like, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open my eyes, Lord. We want to see. You see, it brings about clarity when, we, when we're in front of an open door. John 1, Jesus was talking to Nathaniel, And he says, Truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending. You see, when God opens our, when he gives us an open door, all of a sudden we can see and we can hear. Acts 2 needed, needed to see clearly. The Holy Spirit had to open their eyes. Philadelphia, previous chapter, just a few weeks ago. He said, I give you an open door. And we'll get to that in just a second. But you see, it's clarity. Some of us are standing in front of an open door, and we're standing so far back that the clarity's not come yet. That being able to see has not come yet. We just kind of see what we want to see. An open door that's opened by Jesus offers us freedom. Man, we can walk through and be freedom. Offers clarity. We can walk through and we can understand as we can know as we're known. We can see as we're seen. Now we see in a glass darkly. Then, after this, we'll see face to face and know as we're known. When I see that open door, a third thing that comes to my mind, not just, not just freedom, not just clarity, 
that you would guess this, opportunity. Opportunity. A door opens for a business venture. A door opens to date somebody you want. A door opens to go someplace you want to go. A door opens and it's an opportunity. The door opens in heaven and you have the opportunity to see Jesus. You have an opportunity to discover Jesus. You have an opportunity to enter with Jesus. John saw the open door. And then we go back to Philadelphia. Remember, Jesus said to them, he said, I open a door that no one can close. And when I close the door... No one can open it. By the way, not only does he open doors and close doors and stand at the door and knock, Jesus says, I am the door. <laughs> he is it. There is no other. But I want to say this to you. When God, when our Lord Jesus opens a door, particularly the door of opportunity, We have the option. He wrote it into our DNA. We have the option of whether we'll walk through it or not. We can choose to turn and walk away, walk our own way. We can do that or we can transition from where we are and from what we are to where he wants us to be, what he wants us to be, And who he wants us to be, whether we like it or not, he's our designer. He's our creator. And he knows best. So have you got him? The open door is freedom. The open door offers you clarity about life and about eternity. The open door offers you opportunity. And the last one that I just bring to your attention that you already know, an open door offers you access. Access. When Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, you remember what happened in the temple? The veil was rent, ripped in two. And it was ripped from top to bottom. Have you ever thought about the significance of that? It's, it's as if from heaven that God took his powerful hands and he took that, that veil that separated the holy of holies from the common worshipers. And like he ripped it in two to say, you now have access. You see, Jesus lived and he died so that we could have access to the Father. We don't have to go through the preacher. We don't have to go through the deacons. We don't have to go through the priests. We don't have to go through anybody else. We can go directly to him because of the access. John saw this open door. He saw it as a way to enter in. It seems to me, it doesn't say it here, but after I look... And there in heaven was an open door. I wonder if that open door was shaped like a cross. Because a cross is the door to heaven. We used to sing a hymn years ago, the way of the cross leads home. Jesus was crucified to open the door of heaven for you and I. Now, having pointed out these four truths... That it offers you freedom and clarity and opportunity and access. When you, if you walk through the door of freedom, 
It offers you to be free. Now listen. From the very presence of sin. It offers you the ability to be free from the very presence of death. It offers you a way to be free from the very presence of hell itself. It offers you a clarity that you've never thought possible. That you could know as you are known. That you could, that you could do as it's done. It offers you the opportunity of a lifetime to behold the face of our Creator. To live with Him and walk with Him. What a transition. What a transition. What a transition this door offers. John saw it. Jesus opened it. And he's speaking to us and he's saying, I want you to see how this door will help you transition from where you have been, from what you have been, for, for how you have lived into what the Father wants, into the place designed for you. Can I just say this to every person in this room? The invitation to walk through that door is not just... John's. It's yours. He's called you. If he's spoken to you, he's inviting you. As we unpack this verse, we're going to see, we don't need to keep what John saw in our mind. The first thing he did, what he saw was an open door. Then I want you to consider what he heard. What he heard. This jumped out at me, which made me understand how transitory this was. It says, the first voice that he heard. So were there other voices speaking to him? So if there were other voices, where were they what they were saying? But here's what I want to say to you. If Jesus comes to you this morning and he opens the door... There will be other voices. There will be other voices. There'll be voices that say, hey, don't take this so seriously. There'll be voices that say, uh, you don't really need to do that. There'll be voices to say that you're doing okay just like you are. There are voices to say, sometimes it's inside of you, some it's outside of you. Some will say, be careful. When Jesus opens the door for you, let me tell you what I'm talking about this morning. For some of you who have never trusted Christ, you've never had that personal encounter with Christ. He comes to you and he speaks to you. And he's calling you. Please listen to that first voice. Because the first voice you hear will be his it's just like when somebody comes to your house or you go to somebody's house. You know who speaks to you first? Your hostess. There might be other people in the house, but your hostess speaks to you first because they want you to be at ease and comfortable. They want you to come in and enjoy things. This is the Lord Jesus. He heard this first voice. Now, how do I know it was Jesus? Well, it says right here, the first voice that I heard speaking to me, like a trumpet. Well, we already know. We already know what Jesus' voice sounds like. If you go back to chapter 1, verses 10 and following, he said, It sounded like a trumpet. 
It sounded like cascading waters. Now, I will just say this to you because I, I believe that we, it impresses on us and it stays with us when we see and hear something. I went online today, uh, this week, not today, and I downloaded, I downloaded cascading waters. If anybody's ever been to that, I'm not going to put them up here. I thought that was too much. If you've ever been to Niagara Falls, you know the roar. If you've ever been out west and you've heard the falling water, the roar, it's just, it keeps on going. And then when you get to the trumpet, boy, it's like a trumpet. We think of that trumpet like last night in the musical that they play, like had in my orchestra when they played. But that's not the trumpet that's symbolic, that's symbolic, symbolized in the Bible. That was a shofar. I was going to get one one time, and uh, so my, our church could hear it. It was almost $2,000 to buy one. It's a long horn, about three and a half, four foot. It's what they used to call in the Jewish camp. His voice is unrecognized. If you find, if you read this closely, please listen. He doesn't say it is a trumpet. He doesn't say it is cascading waters. He is, as he writes, he is searching his finite human mind for what it's like. What does it remind him of? Do we understand yet <coughs> that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, it's not even been conceived in the heart of man, all the things that are up there. His voice is probably one of those things. You see, the truth is, I think about John. And you know that I do this a lot as I read the Bible, as I share with you. I think about the human side. How did he? How was his inflection when he wrote, wrote this? What is he trying to say? How did he feel? Have you ever thought about when John got to chapter 4 and the op- door opened in heaven and he heard the voice once again? Have you ever thought about his isolation, personal isolation on that island? He was all alone. Hadn't had any contact for years. And yet the first voice that he heard sounded like waters in a trumpet. He recognized it immediately as Jesus. And the reason he recognized that he knew Jesus was about to say something significant. May I just say this to you? If you hear the voice of Jesus in your spirit, you better pay attention because Jesus doesn't waste his breath. When he speaks, he's calling us to do something significant. Somebody asked me, have you ever heard Jesus speak audibly? And the answer would be no. When Jesus speaks to me, it's a lot louder than audible. He speaks deep in the spirit. If we hear Jesus, if we, if we recognize Jesus, if we respond to Jesus, the truth is, is that we will transition our lives from that point forward to something better than we, you or me, can ever imagine. That evokes a question. Why do some of us hear the Lord recognize His voice and some do not? Why? 
could it be that we keep ourselves so busy that we don't have don't give God time and space to speak into our souls could it be that we keep ourselves so busy that we don't give God time and space to speak in our souls we have too many activities. We're staying out too late. We, we stay out too late. We don't give God the best we have in the, on the next day following. We go 24-7. And then we get through that week and we go 24-7. Can I just let you off the hook? You don't have to say yes to everything. I, I want to say this to, as, as nicely as I know how. Even God didn't work 24-7. Do you think he took the seventh day off, that Sabbath rest, because he was tired? Or that he was trying to give us a model to follow? He took it, he, he created the world in six days and he rested the seventh to teach us that we needed rest. We're at our best when we do rest. Our best should be to him and for him than to any other God. If you haven't heard his voice lately, perhaps you need to give him some space and time. People in the New Testament time knew about meditation, knew about meditating on God's word. Let the meditations of my heart be acceptable in that. You see, what he heard stopped him. Take time to listen. Hear his voice. That could be the biggest transition you have today. You read that verse, what he heard, what he saw, and finally what he did. And I'm going to tie the heard and did together because what he heard, he heard a divine invitation that we all hear. In his case, it was a physical invitation. He saw an open door in heaven. He says, come up here and I'll show you what's about to take place. Theologians all over the world think, believe, as I do, that this is a precursor to the rapture. But here's what I want to say to you, is that Jesus says, come up here into my house, into the place that I prepared for you. And I will show you, he says to John, I will show you the things that you can't even imagine. Uh, now, if you take your Bibles, if you still have your Bibles open, we'll get to this next week or so. And verse 2, he says, immediately I was in the Spirit. Well, wait a second. Two chapters back, chapter 1, verse 9 says, I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction kingdom and endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, wait a minute. He was now in the Spirit, in the Spirit, Brent. 
He was in the spirit. In the, boy, he was in walking in seventh heaven at this point. Because when he got the invitation, he took it. And you look on at chapter 4 that we'll look at in days to come. And he took this, took this invitation. Come up here and let me show you this. And then he describes it for the balance of chapter 4. Eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard all that God has in store for those who love Him. Are you going? Are you going to heaven one day? Well, I got three of you. Let me, let me give you another chance. Are you going to heaven one day? Amen. Because Jesus opened the door. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. John cannot even, he just has to say it's like this, it's appearance of that, because it's so wild. You see, the invitation that John responded to is just like the invitation Jesus gives us. He says, come to me. Come. Come to me, all of you who are weary, all of you who are burdened, all of you who need rest, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are thirsty, and I will give you water to drink. And whoever comes to me, I won't cast them out. I'll give them living water. Every time Jesus says come, there is a caveat. There's always a caveat. He says, come, follow me. He says, come, be my disciple. What a transition. When we say yes to that transition, to that invitation, the transitions happen and become something like we never thought possible. And we gain life like we never thought probable. And we're His for time and eternity. It's because of the transitions that we discover when we come to Jesus. I read a story. It's a heart-wrenching story. Written by a mom that should encourage us about what's beyond the grave. You may have someone that you laid to rest in the recent past. We buried Mr. Ed yesterday. But this mom writes a story and she says, I, was a, I had a six-year-old boy. And he was at church when they sang, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. And so he went home and he said, Mom, what in the world is that about? When the world is called up yonder, I'll be there. And so mom began to tell him and compare him to the school. She said, it's kind of like when you get into class. And the teacher calls your name and you say, here. Tim, here. Todd, here. Melvin, here. Jimmy, here. And the boy said, oh, that's good. She said shortly later, my boy took ill, and it was serious. And he'd been unconscious for several days, 
And all of a sudden, with a smile on his face, he raised his hand and said, Here! And he was gone. Brothers and sisters, when the roll is called up yonder, will you be there? Had you walked through the door? Had you answered the call? You've been born into the kingdom. If you've been born in the kingdom, you know the transition of seeing the open door and walking through the open door, hearing the divine call, and responding to divine invitation. That's you, if you have. But there may be some today that Jesus is speaking in your heart, and he's saying, come. Here's the open door. It offers you freedom. (laughs) It offers you clarity. It offers you opportunity. It offers you access. If you make that decision, it will be the greatest decision of your life. Let's pray together.